Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. It's Tuesday morning, February 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. We bring it to you twice a week. It is wall-to-wall Q&A. We got some really juicy questions this morning. Looking really forward to getting to it. I've also got a request. I got a couple of them, actually. One you've never heard before. It's going to be fun. Got a lot of ideas for it. Been toying with it in my head. And naturally, whenever I have an idea that I think is decent, I just toss it to you guys. When it gets tossed back to me, it's made all the better. So stay tuned for that. Uh, as usual, joshpate706 at gmail.com. That's one way you can submit a question. Another way is follow me on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Speaking of which, we are right on the precipice. I think we're like seven or six people short of 13,000 on Twitter. When we get there, no sweat. Take your time. I got a lot of time. When we get there, we are recording via Zoom, which will mean a video product of it. We are recording a very, very interactive sort of Q&A discussion. It's going to be you guys and me. I may end up sitting on my couch like I am right now, by the way, with a new microphone. Just lean back and we're just going to talk. And I'll, I'll, I'll reach over here and I'll take a little sip of caffeine, put it back down. But the point is, it's really interactive and it gives you guys an opportunity, I think, to see some of what I've been doing with some of you in those one-on-one Zoom consultations. Um, sometimes, you know, we're talking about career advice. Sometimes we're talking about how to build a YouTube channel, but oftentimes it just delves into conversation, a lot of college football-based conversation. Well, I've listened to that, and I've thought more than once, man, this would make a half-decent show, so let's do it. Get me to 13,000 when we get over that, which could be today at some point. Uh, We will set that up, and I'm going to let you know, so everyone's going to have a shot to get in on this, and it may not be the only one we do. If I get overwhelming feedback on it, uh, we may do a couple of them, um, because as you know, it's February. I don't know if you've heard, but a lot of people are throwing that nasty O word around, and we don't we don't believe in it around here. There is no off season. It's not real. Doesn't exist. And so this is one of the many ways that we can make it go by quicker. I got some good questions this morning, and I, as I said, I've got a new request. It's really creative. You guys are going to have to help me out. Uh, it's going to be really, really involving you. So stay tuned for that. Let's dive in though, and waste no time. Corey leads us off this morning. He says, "Out of all the schools you've not visited." Which school or schools would you love to visit once COVID is over? Well, I'd love to know the end date for COVID. That's my first takeaway, Corey. Secondly, if you can deliver me the date, I want to go to Penn State so bad. I want to go to Oregon really bad. I got to get to Iowa State. You know, I've never been to a game at Texas or Oklahoma either. I've, always, I've wanted to be out there. I've always circled them on the calendar ever since I could be credentialed to go to games, but I've never been able to make it there because they always happen to fall. The big games out there happen to fall on big games for either Alabama or Georgia or Auburn. Those were the three teams I was covering when I was in Columbus or just another big SEC game or like a Florida State or Clemson game. So I've never been able to go to those places. And so if I'm picking per conference out of places I haven't been, I think OU or Texas, certainly Iowa State for for selfish reasons uh, that pertain to me, I want to go there. But I also would love to go to Penn State. Uh, I would love to go to a game at Oregon. You know, there's one kind of off the radar. I've always watched Brigham Young games. 
I say that because I can't round my Y's, as we have documented. So BYU. I want to go to a game out there. Have you ever watched that? That's a very picturesque stadium on TV. I know it takes like seven connecting flights to get there, but I'd love to go to a Brigham Young game. I have uh, been to the Rose Bowl. I would like to go, you know, there's there's another one that I really, it's kind of off the radar a little bit, I guess. I'd love to go to a game at Boise too. As much as I despise the fact that the conference still allows them to wear blue uniforms on a blue field, well, I'd still love to see it, I guess, for novelty's sake. And you know, when you get in portions of the country like that, I just, and I get the sense because I haven't been there, I get the sense that there is a deeper appreciation because it's a smaller or maybe a more closed off community uh, than, you know, the Eastern cities and the Southern cities. And so Boise is a long way away. And once you get out of Boise, there aren't as many big cities that are just 45 minutes down the road as there may be if you're in like Montgomery, Alabama. And I think there's an awareness of that. And there's a pride factor and it's just woven into the fabric of the community, the, um, you know, the football team's kind of the backdrop for everything they do. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's like a really, really amped up version of how big time high school football feels, whether you be in Georgia or Florida or Texas. So I've, it's always appealed to me. I've always appreciated it from a distance and I'd love to see it up close. Dan is next up. He's got a good one here. Boy, oh boy. Try to answer this one as you're riding around listening or wherever you're listening right now. Dan says, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how the NCAA is going to regulate name, image, and likeness rights in the coming season. Specifically, do you believe the NCAA will put a cap on the amount of money players will be allowed to receive from those rights? Without a cap, I worry teams like Miami or Michigan would disproportionately benefit too much by being able to have players market themselves in much larger markets than teams like Iowa State. Well, Dan, that's going to happen. Now, whether you and I like that or not, that's going to happen. I don't think it's the end-all be-all, though, uh, because you know I was talking to A.J. Vaynerchuk, for example, during our social distance series earlier last year. And while I was talking about that, and that's sort of a, a macro version of this, he brought up the micro version, and he brought up the ability to partner with maybe local dealerships and local advertisers. And then it's a case-by-case. It just depends on where you are. If you're in Iowa, for example, who's to say that the biggest grain and feed company in that entire state doesn't come in and they get involved, and they want their name plastered all over Iowa State Athletics, and all of a sudden, I mean, you've got the equivalent in Iowa of what a tech company, if you were to go to UC Berkeley, were to be able to deliver. What I'm saying is, I don't think that we have figured out how this is going to go, and I know everyone's scared of what the big market teams are going to be able to do right now. Let's just let it play out. But as for the first part of your question, I have no idea, nor does the NCAA, for that matter, if we're getting some truth serum injected into this whole conversation, I don't think anyone knows how they're going to police it. I do think, so the the second part to Dan's question was, do you think there's going to be a cap on the amount of money players will be allowed to receive from rights? I'm sure someone's going to float the idea. I'm sure, in fact, I've already heard it floated. Enforcement, which is really the only name of the game here. If you can't enforce it, it's not worth anything. How are you about to enforce that? How are you about to go say, hey, you're allowed to earn money now? Well, not quite that much. Well, at that point, what kind of market forces are we allowing to take place here. Are we going to free market, fully free market on this? What are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to control that? And so to answer your question, Dan, I, I've talked over the past month. I have spoken to people in the legal community about this. They're all fascinated to watch it play out too. I was talking about Keith Sanchez, who was an off-field analyst for LSU. And Bruce Feldman wrote in The Athletic last week about how Keith Sanchez has decided in order to prepare myself for the coming changes in the world of name, image, and likeness and to best position myself to take advantage of it as a career, 
I'm leaving LSU. I'm going to law school. Well, then I ask one of my one of my good buddies um, that is in that field already today. Hey, what do you even think he's going to do? Like what specific track? What specific law degree? I know nothing about law, as you can clearly tell. And he said, you know, it's interesting. And then he went on and on and on. And I realize every time I talk to folks, including some of you who actually do this for a living, I realize there are so many layers to the onion. I just, I, I don't think, I don't think I realized it at the outset several months ago when we began talking about it. I don't, I don't think that a lot of people in NCAA headquarters do either. Here's the scary part. If you think that, and I think that, we don't run a program. Imagine trying to run a program and imagine trying to get ready and, and plan your recruiting. And then you're having to also decide who you're going to hire and what kind of people you want to hire. And we don't even know, like we don't even have clear guidance. In fact, we thought we were going to get a decision on this a couple of months ago, and then it got kicked down the road. And now we think it's coming a month or two from now. And Dan, there's just a whole lot of question marks. The answer to this question is picture a giant question mark in your head. And that's your answer right now. Ryan, up next, what is your number one favorite off-season activity? Uh, Ryan, so let's skip a few and let's go to the ones that I can talk about. Uh, my favorite, I'll tell you a story that I thought of as soon as I saw this question. So back when I was working in news, I was a news anchor down in Columbus, uh, Georgia, and I, I loved the off-season. There's this window. There are two windows in Georgia. It's early spring, which is around this time of year. A little bit, little bit later, but around March, uh, maybe into April, and then there is the fall, which kind of spills over into college football season. But you can still get what I'm about to talk about in, which is September, uh, even early October times. Uh, there are two periods where you can be outdoors at night down there, and you're still largely able to avoid snake bites and stuff like that. And so, what we used to do, we take sometimes we would try and coordinate with rival news stations in town. But we would other times coordinate with our own sales department and we would make it upstairs sales versus downstairs news. And we would go out to a place, ironically enough, called Pate Park out in Harris County, which is north of Columbus. It's where I'm from. And so we would take the entire big, massive park and we would wait till sundown and we would take glow sticks out there. And just like you're 10 years old, except it's all adults. We would, we would coordinate this massive game of capture the flag. I'm talking about using the whole park. You go on Google Earth and you take the, the satellite view of the park and you draw boundaries right down the middle and you delineate those by putting glow sticks out so that you can see them in the dark. And we, we would mark off where jails were by using those glow sticks. It's really fun. It sounds like it's something for kids and at the heart of it, it is. Um, but you know, my whole philosophy is Find a valid excuse to do as many things that you used to do as a child as humanly possible, no matter how old you are. So we did that. Uh, by the dozens, we would go out there. So we would split off into teams. And man, that was so fun. We would do that a few times a year. I, it was always a blast. You stay out there several hours. We ended up, uh, <laughs> me and the uh, chief meteorologist who works in Cleveland now and may end up listening to this, we actually tried to buy some spy equipment. Uh, that's as specific as I'd like to get off the internet because some of it we thought was military grade at the time. And so, I mean, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get an edge. That's what we were trying to do. We were doing the, we were the equivalent in the capture the flag world of like bugging your opponent's locker room before a game. And we never got caught. We never got caught neither, but that was really fun. So that's the first thing. The second thing is storm chasing, which I've talked about many times before. And we are rapidly coming up on the uh, hottest time of year for storm chasing. So late February through early to mid-May, I mean, that's that's the sweet spot. So if 
If those of you out there who believe in the offseason, if you believe in that, this is the time of year. So that answers the question there, Ryan. But I'm a big, I'm a big outdoors guy. I don't like to sit inside very often, especially, man, when it's sunny, like tomorrow, for example, I'm looking at my app right now, which has been varying degrees of dependable over the last week. And tomorrow in Nashville, it's going to get the mid sixties and it's going to be sunny. So I'm going to try and get outside tomorrow. Now, I don't know how much sunshine we're actually going to have tomorrow or how long it's going to last. But I mean, you're talking to a guy who was um, watching the thermometer dip below seven or eight degrees uh, this time a week ago or less than a week ago. We still have snow on the ground outside, by the way. So as soon as spring rolls around, get me outdoors as often as possible. And because I moved to Nashville right before the pandemic, the other downside here, I think I've talked about this before, is I haven't been able to get outside. Like I haven't really seen this place, haven't really gone to a lot of places around here. So hopefully, you're going back to Corey's question, once COVID is over, once we hit the stop button on that, hopefully it coincides with what I'm talking about here with the spring season coming up. I hopefully I can get out and do some of that because I know a lot of you live up here and I always get suggestions about where I should go. And have you been to this state park? Have you gone over here? No, I haven't. They're all, they're all closed. Uh, the federal government runs those things. They don't tend to open up when they have a national lockdown. But hey, fingers crossed we can actually make it happen here. All right, next up, you know, I, let me hit pause. And so here's what I was going to tell you. The second request I have, you know, there are a lot of times where I refer to a random team and I've been accused of picking on Kent State. I've been accused of that. And, you know, the more I went back and listened to the tape, it's valid. Every time I need to pick a random team out of the sky, I don't know why but I picked Kent State. I've never been there. I don't have relatives who went there. I don't know anyone, to my knowledge, who goes to Kent State. And so I thought to myself, how do we avoid that? Well, the way you avoid it is we got to make up our own show. So I was talking to a few of you about this. I already workshopped the name. And I think we need to go with Pate State University. That's the name. It rhymes. It rolls off the tongue. That's great. Here's what Pate State needs. Do it for the sake of Kent State, even if you don't want to do it for me. Save Kent State by coming up with, or here's what we need. We need a mascot and we need a battle cry. So I need a Pate State fill-in-the-blank mascot or whatever you want to go with. I don't know that Crimson Tide is a mascot, for example, but that's what they call Bama. So whatever we have, we got to fill in that blank. And then I need a battle cry uh, to go back to Alabama. They have Roll Tide. They have Go Dogs. They have, um, you know, Fight On at USC. We got to have a battle cry. And it needs to sort of coincide with whichever mascot we choose. So I'm crowdsourcing this. The best suggestion wins, and I am going to have to choose, I think, between a lot of good candidates, but Pate State, fill in the blank, and then we're going to go with it. And I don't know uh, about you, but I could see that slapped on a t-shirt one. Speaking of which, merch is on the way. So just keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye peeled. Keep an ear peeled. Get back to the actual matter at hand here. Uh, This is a good one from TB. He said, what are the top four or five recruiting grounds in the nation that every program needs to get players from annually or semi-annually? to be at the top level. Well, I think TB, um, in most cases, you want to get a lot of guys from your home state. You want to get the lion's share of talent that fit your qualification from your home state. Then, I, you know, when I think about the recruiting grounds, and this is not a scout talking, this is not someone on our rankings talking, this is me talking. When I'm thinking about recruiting, I'm thinking about these areas, roughly. I'm thinking about California, I think about South Florida as a territory and then the Florida Panhandle and South Georgia as a combined territory. Atlanta is its own state, essentially. I think of the Carolinas as their own territory, sort of that Tidewater, DMV area, Virginia, Maryland up there, that whole area. I think Louisiana is its own area. Texas is its own area. And TB kind of asked about underrated areas, too. 
the underrated areas, I think Mississippi is one. Arizona is absolutely one. And I also think the Middle Tennessee and Kentucky area is a very underrated. Those are some underrated areas. It's not that no talent ever comes from there, but I don't think we talk about them uh, nearly to the degree that we do the others for good reason. Now, those are, those are bona fide hotbeds of recruiting. But if you want to put together the formula, you know, for example, let's just say you're Auburn, because I always used to be fascinated by their recruiting blueprint. You know, they got Nick Saban up the road. Most of the elite in-state talent in Alabama that he wants, he's going to get. There are a few exceptions, but by and large, he's going to get them. And so if you're Auburn, you can't look around your own home state and count on landing a lion's share of the top talent there. You've got Kirby Smart at Georgia, so you can't necessarily rely on going into Georgia and constantly drawing guys out of there that Georgia wants. They do it from time to time, but it's again, it's a tough uphill battle, especially when you have a new coaching staff. And so, you know, Auburn in an ideal world, they'd love to land a lot of guys from the state of Alabama. They'd love to go up I-85 and get to like the, the, the LaGrange and, and Noonan and Atlanta area. Uh, they have in the past gone into Louisiana and East Texas at times. They have gone into South Florida. Well, I think just in any given year, that's what they have to do. I also kind of classify Mobile in a lot of ways as being in that Florida panhandle or Louisiana territory. Mobile sometimes is its own animal. If you've lived in the state of Alabama, if you've worked at Auburn or Alabama, you've recruited that area. Like, you know, when Nick Saban came to to LSU, kind of turned Mobile into an LSU hotbed. And it was tough, even when he got to Alabama. You know, he got to Alabama, and one of his first chores was to get down there because they had this class coming. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard these names. His first full recruiting class really included the likes of Julio Jones and Mark Barron and Marcel Darius. B. Scott was a big five-star they got from down there, even though he never really panned out on the field. Well, guess where all those guys were from? They were all from Mobile. So Mobile is kind of its own area too. But what you want to do is you want to you own whatever your core is. If it's in-state, it's in-state. And then you just want to either you want to cherry pick some guys from a number of these areas, or what you want to do is you want to say, all right, we're going to hit Louisiana and we're going to hit that Florida Panhandle, South Georgia area. And we're just going to crush it there. We're going to put all our eggs in those baskets. Different staffs obviously have different ways of going about that. You can't put blinders on to where if a kid in Little Rock, Arkansas, high four-star running back from Little Rock, really has you on his radar, you don't say, well, sorry, kid, you're not in the the predetermined blueprint we're going to recruit in this year. The United States is your predetermined blueprint. And while I'm at it, by the way, I had a question the other day about international recruiting. And right now, the way that most of us view international recruiting is if you have an international recruit, that means you have either a punter or a kicker from Australia. Those are the only ones that we've come accustomed to. And I think about the Latin American explosion in baseball over the last, really the explosion being over the last 20 years. And I was talking to a guy about whether that could ever happen in college football. And here's the premise. The premise is, notice how more true freshmen play in football now. A couple of different reasons for that. Number one, uh, I think just the very, very general on average preparation at the high school level is better uh, because the coaching always improves, but also you have the camp circuit. So guys come in more ready to compete. But don't kid yourself, college offenses and really just college schemes overall have been streamlined to get the best players on the field early. And the reason I bring that up is because now the game is tailored towards being simplified to the point of being able to get guys on the field early. Well, if that's the case, then more and more you can look around the world at elite athletes from Germany or Australia or wherever the case may be, Eastern Europe, and you may say, well, wait a second, why should we limit ourselves 
to just recruiting the lower 48 and maybe occasionally kicking it out to Hawaii. I don't know that many kids come from Alaska. Why wouldn't we go check out Puerto Rico? Why wouldn't we go check out um, South Africa? Like what stops us from doing that? I it, well, I can tell you budgetarily what may stop you from doing it. But I, you know, it wouldn't shock me five years from now if we're watching one of these big programs like Texas or like uh, Miami or, or, or Alabama, someone like that. And if what if they were to have a South African kid on their roster? What if they were to, and I'm talking about kids, they went to South Africa or to Germany or, you know, to to uh, the far reaches of the globe to get. That's just kind of a, an interesting little side note here, TB, because I know you didn't ask me about international recruiting, but I was, I was having a conversation the other day. And my first instinct when someone asked me, why don't colleges go international to recruit? I said, oh, they just don't. Yeah, but that's not the question. The question was, why don't they? And budget is is obviously one reason. There are plenty enough players here. But, you know, th- there have always been plenty enough baseball players here, too. What if there's just pockets of talent that happen to reside in Laredo, Texas, and you want to go get them? Well, baseball went to Latin America. I mean, baseball went to Cuba. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily know that, you know, the Latin American kids are ever going to be a hotbed of college football recruiting talent. But you never know because there are elite athletes all over the world. It, wherever there are humans among that population, if it's any size, there are going to be some really good athletes there. So just a little side note to think about. If it ever does happen, I just want you to trace it back here and remember that we were at the forefront of international recruiting. Here's a good question, by the way, drawing it back into the United States and drawing it back to this year. Quarterback, you guys looking around right now? You guys looking at uh, you, whether it be Uyangalale at Clemson or um, whether it be Bryce Young at Alabama, we're looking at potentially the Casey Thompson era getting at Texas. A lot of places, Ohio State, there are a lot of places where they're a perennial contender and you got not a, not a controversy or not a concern, but maybe questions at quarterback. And there's an area right now, two of them really, that I'm going to mention, but one in particular that I think is really starting to show us something, even though they haven't even taken a snap in spring camp yet. I'm going to talk about it right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So here's Finn's question, and I'm going to take it a couple of different directions. He said, I just watched your mood tracker on Oregon. Do you think the coaching staff will strictly give the quarterback job to whoever is better in camp and wins the battle? Do you think the fact that Thompson has so much upside. He's talking about Ty Thompson, by the way, a high, high four-star recruit in this class. Do you think the fact that he has so much upside and you can build for several years with him at quarterback is worth getting him in there as soon as possible? It seems odd for Anthony Brown to come back with Tyler Shuck transferring. Uh, This is a good question. Here's what's happening. Tyler Shuck, I, I was talking to someone out on the West Coast earlier this week about this. 
Here's the perception. The perception is Tyler Shuck kind of caught a little trade win when Ty Thompson's coming in, and he realized, a la Darren Thomas and Marcus Mariota, formerly at Oregon, he realized, hey, even though I've technically been the one starting here, uh, this guy's probably going to take my spot. So let me get out of here. Well, Tyler Shuck recently transferred. Okay. Well, then I'm talking to some folks at Oregon, and they think, well, hey, maybe going into spring at least, maybe it's Anthony Brown's job. And so I, I don't doubt that, but at the same time, it can't be Ty Thompson's job. He's barely even enrolled on campus. I think we need to let that play out coming out of spring. Oregon will know what they have. J.J. McCarthy, it's very similar with he and Cade McNamara at Michigan right now because Joe Milton, who took starts at various points last year, he just transferred out. And the presumption is obviously, well, yeah, he transferred because he saw J.J. McCarthy coming in. That may be the case. I kind of hope it's the case because I want to get the younger, better players on the field as soon as possible, or at least better according to my perception. But at the same time, I want you to think about a couple of things here. So the first thing is I'm always a believer outside of the star rating. You can gauge how good a quarterback is, how high his ceiling is by the impact he has on the quarterback room when he comes on campus. And the more transfers you see out of that quarterback room, that's not a bad thing. Maybe for your depth, immediately it's a bad thing. But long term, I think it's a good thing because players realize how good other players are sometimes. But the second part, this whole when do you announce a quarterback has won a job. You announce it when the team lets you know he's won the job. There are two different layers to this, and it's tough. You talk to coaches, whether it's an offensive coordinator making the call or, or more likely the head coach making the call. I've, I've spoken to guys about this before, and they'll tell you, yeah, I've gone into spring before thinking I know who's going to start. Yeah, we've been fall camp with me being 98% sure who's going to start, but there's a reason that at that point I hadn't announced to the team who the starter was because the team had not announced to me who the starter was. And he said, you know, most of the time, if you'll just let it play out, the team's going to realize the guy who you want to start is right for the job. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to jump the gun and announce a guy as your starting quarterback before the team has been sold on him. And so right now, and it's early, it's we're going into spring, obviously, what you're going to watch play out, what Mario Cristobal is going to watch play out is he's going to watch Ty Thompson come in. And how quick does he make decisions? And how good is he at setting his protections? And how good is he at the line of scrimmage? Five, four, three, check here, two, one. How good is he? Because he's a true freshman right now. And once we get out of camp, you can reassess. Then you start structuring your off-season seven-on-seven workouts. And then you get into fall camp. And you've gotten plenty of repetitions with your teammates by that time. But by that first or second week of fall camp, you start to hope to look around your locker room and look on the field and watch the body language of players and start to talk to your leadership council, which is made up of your your veteran players. You start getting a sense of where your team is. And then when the team aligns with how you already felt probably long before the team did, that's when the decision gets made. And that's sort of the inside baseball or football, as it were, of how those quarterback decisions get announced. I know it seems simple. Like you may watch 10 minutes of of practice B-roll Or you may watch the guy in the spring game and you think, oh, this guy's clearly better than him. It's not always that simple. It may be that simple to you to scout him, but it's not always that simple in announcing who starter actually is. Uh, Josh is next up. Good name here. He said, in your opinion, when's the last time Alabama was truly beaten in a game? I don't just mean on the scoreboard. I mean the last time they lost talent for talent. They were outcoached. They were outplayed for four quarters. My opinion, I say it hasn't happened since 2008, but I know I've got a lot of bias to my Gators. 
So I thought about it. I have to pull up the record books to, to remember all of their losses. So that 2008 Florida game was in the SEC title game. I was there. 31-20 was the final. I do agree they were outplayed that day. I counted one, two, three, four, five, five, and maybe six games. We're talking about 13 years here. I counted five or maybe six games that I remember them losing where I thought, yeah, they lost that game. I can remember a couple of more where I watched and said, I can't believe they lost this game. So the 2019 LSU game, I think they got beat. The 2018 Clemson National Championship game, certainly they got beat. I think the 2017 Iron Bowl, I think it was like 26 to 14. That's one where you kept wondering if Tonga Vailoa was going to come in. He never did. I think they got beat that day too. 2014 Sugar Bowl versus Ohio State. I think that was a sound defeat. 2010 on the road at South Carolina. Carolina had everything go right. They had a decade's worth of execution go right that afternoon. I think they got soundly defeated against South Carolina. In fact, Nick Saban afterwards was quoted as saying, we didn't just lose the game, man. They beat us today. Uh, the 2010 LSU game. So that's one that I had questions on because they got outgained, I guess, if you want to go right to that total yardage metric. They lost by three. Uh, they were minus two in the turnover battle. And so, yeah, I, listen, LSU did beat them that day on the scoreboard. And I could say that LSU just flat out beat them too. And then that, again, going back to the 08 Florida game. But listen, Josh, the whole out-talenting Alabama, that doesn't happen. Even in these games where they're losing, they're not facing a superior roster. They could be out-coached. They could be outplayed. There is not going to be a time in any of these games that I'm looking at, aside from the early portions of the Saban era, like the 08 Florida game, uh, there's really no time where they were outclassed athletically, where they were out-talented. Uh, but yeah, those games, and it, again, it takes... Takes that take a whole long time to to look back on some of those, like the 2010 Iron Bowl. Like I didn't think they got soundly defeated that day. I didn't think that Manziel and A and M. I didn't think that they really soundly defeated them. Neither of the Ole Miss losses I I qualify and classify in that category. Uh, what are some other games they've lost? Oh, I'll tell you one more. The game of the century in 2011. I was at that one too. The nine to six overtime final. I didn't walk out of that one thinking LSU really just beat them. And I remember. You know, I remember thinking, LSU better hope Alabama doesn't get that rematch because I didn't, number one, I didn't think Oklahoma belonged in that game, and I did think Bama was going to get the shot. And if they got the shot, I didn't care that the title game was going to be in New Orleans. I just, I thought Bama was the better team. I just didn't think I saw the better team win the regular season game. Ironically enough, if you think about it, think about some of these games we're talking about here, and I've never been able to make sense of this. I've always trusted Alabama in big games on the road more than I have at home. Can't explain it. I don't know if they, they play tighter at home sometimes. I don't even know if this is backed up by data, to be honest with you. I've never really done a forensic analysis on that. But yeah, man, LSU was in there. That was a night game. That place was crazy. I've never seen a regular season environment for any football game like I saw in that 2011 game. That was amazing. I've been to, I kid you not, I've been to national championship games where the buildup, especially outside the stadium leading up to the game, didn't even come close to what it was like outside Bryant-Denny Stadium for the 2011 LSU game. That was amazing. That was unbelievable. Uh, there were, I don't know, man. I just, if I could encapsulate that and then I could take it and I could show you when I'm trying to explain the difference between major college football and maybe some of the five levels of college football, I'm talking about taking an 18-year-old kid and throwing him into that environment. You just don't duplicate that by playing in front of 24,000 people. You just don't. But man, what an environment that was. So yeah, I counted a few there, Josh, but no, they don't get outplayed many times. They certainly don't. And they didn't last year. That's for sure.
Chris is up next. He said, my roommate and I are huge fans from New York and New Jersey. College football is not as much a topic at water coolers here, and we don't have barbecue joints around here like you do down south, but your show makes it feel like we know what's going on in college football. My question is a more general sports question. What's the biggest thing you realized as an adult that you didn't as a kid in regards to sports? Growing up in New York, our talk radio personalities were always such huge icons, I assumed they must know everything. And it was a heck of a realization when I realized they knew about as much or less than most fans. They just had a larger platform. Christopher, I'm going to call you by your full name. That's a dirty little secret of our industry that you just let out there. Uh, I'm going to let that be your takeaway, okay? So I don't want to disparage people in my line of work. I will just say that um, I, I endorse that statement you made there. Here are a few things that I jotted down right before I started recording. I've spoken about these before. One of the things I realized is not everyone who covers college football or covers sports loves their job, which I have found fascinating. Like I've said before, I know if you're an accountant, I could understand how an accountant would not love their job because there are, there are millions and millions of those jobs in America and around the world. And sometimes that's just the job you maybe you settled into it, but you were never passionate about it. I could get that. Like I could get that. If you're a tax consultant, I could get that. I've never understood with how precious few amounts of jobs there are in our business, how anyone could just wind up in one of those spots and not love it. Because there are so many people who do love it, jockeying for those jobs. How did someone who was miserable and, and couldn't have cared less end up in one of those jobs? But I say that to say this, whether it, whether it baffles me or not, it does seem that way that some people who cover it, they don't love it. Second thing, not everyone who plays the game loves it. Believe it or not, this is another one that will just throw you for a loop. If you're a kid and then you're coming of age and, and then you get to be in locker rooms and you get to cover this stuff, there, there are some guys who, who God gave infinite amounts of athletic ability to. And they realized it from a young age. I am just, I'm bigger and faster and stronger than all my friends. I can throw a baseball a long way. I can catch footballs. I can jump higher. I could run faster. And they just realize it. And they are never passionate about sports. They never love sports, but they realize, hey, I got to have a job. I might as well have the one that's going to make me millions of dollars instead of the one that's going to pay me $41,000. And so they just do the math and they realize I'll play till I'm 30. I'll retire. I'll be set for life, but it's a job. I mean, you would be shocked at how many guys play in major league baseball or play in the NFL and they don't even know anything really about the sport. Like they could not tell you anything fractionally as much about their own sport as you could tell them about their sport. And what you come to realize is it's because you love their sport. They don't. It's a job for them. They just happen to have the God-given ability to do it at such a high level, and they're professional enough that they could play it at a level that makes it look like they love it, and when they don't love it. Now, that's the minority. By far, the majority of people do love it, but I realized not everyone does. Another thing is I never knew how truly great the best athletes in pro sports are. I was, I didn't, I've never covered NBA, but I used to, I used to use my, um, I used to use my job to get courtside seats sometimes. And I would get credentialed to like Atlanta Hawks games. If I felt like going, I would just get credentialed and I would go and um, I'd be able to be on the floor for pregame shoot around and stuff like that. I went up there one time when they, uh, they were playing the Spurs. And so this is Kawhi Leonard still with San Antonio, Tim Duncan still playing. And I stood on the court and I watched San Antonio warm up. And I don't know if I don't know how many of you have ever stood on the court or had courtside seats for an NBA game or how many of you have been around professional basketball players. 
here's what a basketball court looks to me. When you watch pros on a basketball court, what it looks like is, in a lot of ways, this is the case. It looks like the dimensions of a basketball court and the dimensions of the game were built for guys my size, 6'1 or 6'2. And then it got taken over by guys who averaged 6'5 or 6'6. The length is incredible. The size is insane. I sat there and watched Kawhi Leonard, for example, just move around. Just watch, You don't have to watch him shoot. Just watch him move around. Look at Tim Duncan. Just move and how big those guys are and then how talented, like how they don't have to sacrifice anything. They don't look like Bambi. They don't look like they struggle to maintain their footing because they have so much length. They're incredible. They're just specimens. When you're on the field, when you're on the sideline, watching an NFL offensive guard warm up, when you're on the sideline standing there watching Clemson's defensive ends warm up, you don't appreciate until you can see it up close how spectacular a physical specimen some of those guys are. I've watched Najee Harris for several years. Najee Harris is one of the most freakish athletes I've ever seen. Derrick Henry is the most freakish athlete I've ever seen in my life. Derrick Henry's hips look like they come up to about your shoulder. He's got such high hips. And when you watch him move, when you watch him run, the reason why he pulls away from folks, but he never looks like he's really running fast, is because his stride length is, is so wider and so much bigger than your average defensive back. His feet don't have to hit the ground as often as those guys. So that's why it looks like he's galloping, and yet he's still pulling away. Chris, I'm telling you, it is a, it is a game-changing experience, uh, pardon the pun, to be able to view elite and in some cases professional athletes up close it's unbelievable you cannot i know sometimes maybe when we're younger we want to sit at home or maybe if you've just never been able to experience that you want to sit at home and you want to watch some guys and you want to say you know i on my best day i could do that just please take my word for it you couldn't you just couldn't i couldn't either Uh, we couldn't what those guys do when they're on the field with other professionals with the other best in the world Amen. Oh, man. I don't think most of us can fully grasp what's going on, what your eyeballs are seeing. And that's not even to speak of golf. That's not even to speak of tennis. These are just the sports I've been able to watch up close. So those are some of the things I've taken away. I'll tell you one more. I, I, you know, here's a couple of more, Chris. I, I realized when I started doing this for a living, how massive a job a college head coach is. Like I think being a college football head coach when you think about all that's on your plate, when you think about in many cases how you could be the most powerful figure, public figure in your state, and you're not even a politician, well, at least by the letter of the law, you're not, uh, and how many people's lives are impacted by your success and your team's success or failure, that's always stood out to me. And then the other thing is, and this ties directly into you guys, and I've spoken to you about this many times, and I always thank you for it, how incredible college football fans are. College football fans are the ones, you guys are the ones I'm closest to. You guys are the ones I have direct communication with pretty much every single day of the week. But here's what you come to realize. They only treat you that way if they accept you. And they only accept you if they know you're authentic. And the only way to me that I've ever found to be authentic to the college football fan is to make sure you know every day I'm one of you. Like that's literally what I was doing before I got in this world. That is what I was working in the fabric warehouse. I was listening to talk radio every day. I was watching the games on Saturdays. I was reading the practice reports. I was going to games whenever I could scrounge up the money. That's exactly what I was doing. So the same lifestyle, uh, probably lesser paid at that point than you guys are, but the same lifestyle you guys live, the same lifestyle and passions and interests 
that bring you to a podcast like this, I've got them too. I'm not some dude who works in the studio 1,500 miles away from you who pays attention to the sport, you know, six or seven hours a week on a Saturday. And then, you know, I'll just, I'll just read on my phone on the way to work that Saturday morning, make sure I'm caught up. That's not me, man. I'm immersed in it, just like you guys are immersed in it. And the thing about a real college football fan is uh, you guys know as well as I do, you can pick up on the fakes. You can pick up on the posers immediately and you turn them off. You tune them out and they can walk up to your tailgate and you just ask them, what are you lost? You looking for a porta potty? What are you looking for? Keep walking. I know good and well you LSU fans would. Now, conversely, when I go down to Baton Rouge, I can go and eat wherever I want to. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get into Tiger Stadium two years ago, which was the last time I was there, uh, because you guys kept on inviting me over to this tailgate and that tailgate. You guys know good and well there are certain things you're partaking in. I can't. I'm about to go to work. You guys are going to a game. But here is the, it's the beauty of being accepted as one of instead of someone. And college football fans when they realize that you're one of them and you're authentic and you relate to them and they relate to you, man, the way they accept you, it's kind of like family. And so you can go to, you can go to Lincoln, Nebraska one week, and then you can go down to Gainesville, Florida the next week. And it's just the same. They're wearing different colors, but it's the same feel. And so even in my line of work, that's why I try and distinguish the product we do. Everything we do with Late Kick, I try and distinguish it because I want it to be authentic to you. I don't want it to sound contrived. I don't want it to sound like a bunch of media consultants that you know, make more for a consulting fee than maybe you make in a quarter year of your job, got in a room and said, all right, here's what those people want to hear. So let's make sure we format it to where they, we give them the red meat they want. No, there's plenty enough of that out there. I'll just talk about what you want me to talk about. And the reason I'll know you want me to talk about it is because you told me because I actually direct and verse with you every week. And that's the kind of show we do around here. And because of that, I think there's an authentic experience there and there's an authentic relationship that I wouldn't trade for the world personally. So, Chris, I hope that answered your question. That's a, those are a few things that I've picked up on uh, that I did not realize as a kid. All right, remember, we're looking to get to 13K on Twitter. At Late Kick Josh is the handle. Give me a follow over there. Also, make sure you leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast side of things. Uh, we're floating somewhere between one and 2,000 of those. So we've done really good there. Always want to keep that momentum rolling. And also remember, yeah, here's the search. The search is on our, our fictional university. It's just our show. It's ours, our fictional university, the Pate State fill in the blank. We need a mascot. We need a battle cry and it's up to you. Now, if someone wants to get really creative out there and write me a fight song, you're going to have to wait because we got to get a name first, but the fight song, whoever comes up with the fight song. Now that's, that's instant street cred. Whoever comes up with a great logo, that's instant street cred. But right now we're just looking for the mascot name. So hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com and the DMs on Twitter at late kick josh had a lot of fun this morning hope you have a great rest of your day i'm josh pate for producer jordan this has been the late kick extra again take care and god bless from producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band u2 kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on paramount plus go to paramount plus to try it free terms apply